recommended for years the Open Bible Expanded Edition. It's the one that's back there. You'll see it. It's got the silver cover with the blue leafing, and it's just such a great study Bible. And at the beginning of that, it has a 300-page subject index. And any subject you want to study, you can just take that. And not only will it give you, uh, you know, the, the, the study notes, but it'll actually give you the page numbers if you're new to your Bible. You don't know where this book is or that. You can literally just turn to page 784 and look up this verse. And, uh, well, I'll tell you what, Miss Kim, I cut my teeth on that, uh, spiritual teeth on that Bible at uh, Bible College and just love studying uh, the Word of God. So I was thinking about the magnificence of the Word of God. You know, the Bible teaches that the Word of God regenerates. It said, but you are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from the vain conversation by tradition of your fathers, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible of the Word of God which liveth and abideth forever. And so uh, the Word of God regenerates. The Word of God restrains. Know that verse we, we teach our children. By the way, it's a, it's, a, it's a great verse to teach your children about memorizing the Bible. What? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The Word of God in your heart will restrain you. It'll, God will bring it to mind when the temptation comes. So it regenerates, it restrains. Uh, according to Psalm 119, verse 130, it enlightens. The entrance of thy word giveth light, it says. You know, uh, one of the verses I just absolutely love uh, concerning the word of God is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verse 13, and it tells us that the word of God effectually works. Here's what it says. It says, For this cause also thank me God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh in you that believe. You know, again, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks back, but I have so many faults and flaws, and by the way, if you want to see some real faults and flaws, just look in the mirror and all God's people said, amen. amen. Uh, some of you, forgive me, ladies, you used to put the makeup on with your fingers, now it's trial time, amen. Get out. There's faults and flaws, we all have them! We all have them! But I'll tell you what, one thing I have always done since I got saved was when the preacher stood up and said, this is the word of God in my heart, Brother Boston, I said, amen. It is the Word of God. It effectually works in those which believe. Oh, I think of something else. Hey, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us about the Word of God. It not only regenerates and restrains and enlightens and effectually works, but one thing we can guarantee is this book came from God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Second Peter chapter 1, we looked at it on Wednesday night. We were talking about whether we interpret the Bible literally or allegorically. And if you missed that uh, message, let me just tell you, we interpret it literally. Amen. Because allegorically is a private interpretation. And no scripture is given for private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved, breathed upon by the Holy Ghost. This book came from God. You know what else we learn about the Word of God? It nourishes us, doesn't it? As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow by. And then, just like babies, Pastor Brent, we graduate from milk to meat. The meat of the Word, amen? And so, we ended that message with some applications in the form of a question regarding the Word of God. Do we love it? Do we love the Word of God? Do we read it? Do we meditate upon it? Do we obey it? Hey, I'll tell you what. If it is truly the magnificent Word of God, we should treat it that way. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm, I'm fussy. I, I, uh, first of all, I like to move my Bible around enough so there's never any dust on it. <laughs> I like to read it. 
But I don't know about you, I don't like anything on top of my Bible. I, I, I don't let you know uh, a, a soda or a, or a coffee or no, 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 this is the Word of God. I don't, even on top of books. Like, I, I'll be, you know, I study a lot and I carry books around with me, Pastor Brent. I, I just, I put my Bible on top of the books, even if that little, the top book is only like this big, amen, and the Bible's teetering and like a seesaw or something. I just, I, I want to treat this book like it is God's book, because it is, amen. And so, we looked at Psalm 119. Look at Psalm 122 with me tonight, and this psalm, if you notice there at the beginning of it, it says uh, it's one of the psalms of degrees, uh, and uh, it's one of the psalms of degrees, and it's ascribed uh, to David, which is very interesting, as you'll see as we as we expound on it a little bit here, and I believe that's correct, amen. Uh, by the way, I believe the Word of God is correct. Uh, a song of degrees of David there, and it's attributed to David, however, many students of the Bible believe that it was adapted under the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit by King Hezekiah, and that is particularly because of, we're going to look at three points in the context and then we'll uh, move into the message, but the first one is, notice with me in verses 1 and 9, that phrase, the house of the Lord, the house of the Lord. It says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And we're going to use that verse a little bit later as just kind of a springboard by way of application. But we want to give the sense of the text. And then in verse 9 it says, because of the what? House of the Lord, our God, I will seek the good. So again, those of you that remember uh, the, the glorious temple of Solomon... Uh, you remember it was prepared by David. Remember, David wanted to build a house for the Lord, and God said, you're a man of war. You can't do it. But you remember what he did, uh, Brother Tim, was he got all the materials and got everything ready for when Solomon came to the throne... And God used Solomon uh, to to uh, uh, per, to build that temple. Go with me over. Let's let's do a little bit of moving through our Bible tonight. We'll come back to Psalm 122, but to go to Second Chronicles chapter seven. Second Chronicles chapter number seven. In chapter six, we have the the prayer of dedication for the temple by Solomon. And it's a great prayer. Uh, you know, he, 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 he says, listen, we, we, we've sinned. We, you know, please forgive us. Uh, may, may this, you know, just this temple be a, a, a place where we worship you and, and all that. And then it, it all culminates there in chapter 7, verse 1. It says, now when Solomon had made an end of praying, seems like we preached a little bit about this this morning. The fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And listen, how about this? And the glory of the Lord filled the house. That's such a blessing, amen. So, so the house of the Lord here, this temple, it was prepared by David. It was completed by Solomon. And then after the reign of Solomon, and again, uh, uh, boy, I appreciated this. I, I took a, a, a class with Dr. Harry Carr, uh, Brother Boston. He was our dear friend, amen. And I took a history of Israel class. I needed, I needed one more history class to get a history minor. And Dr. Carr said, I'll teach it on Monday nights, you know, at his Bible Institute. And we went through and he talked about how it's important to have a, a basic understanding of the timeline of the Old Testament. It's important. And again, those of you that know, was, was, uh, Israel was a theocracy. That means God ruled. And then what happened was, they said, we want to be like all the other nations. <laughs> You know, I'm the Lord willing, I want to preach on the prodigal next week. I'm going to preach on signs that you're headed for the far country. But it's amazing to me. Young people, you, you, you got it pretty good at the Father's house. You don't need to be like everybody else. Everybody else is a mess. And they said, we want to be like just like the other nations. And God said, there's a whole chapter full of it in, in uh, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8. And really, in essence, he said, you sure? Because if I give you a king, 
You're, he, he's going to own your sons. He's going you know, your daughters are going to, and, and, and he laid it all out. They said, we want to be like the other nations. So he gave him King Saul, who was head and shoulders above all else. And you remember what happened. King Saul, uh, he, he, was, uh, he, was, uh, he was not a good repenter, if we could put it that way. And uh, he, he sinned greatly against God, not obeying God. And God put him on the shelf, and God anointed David to be king in his stead. And that great verse on David, and, and forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's not a verse for dressing like a slob, and it's not a verse for getting tattoos or anything else anybody says. When he said uh, to, to, to Samuel, he said, look not at his countenance. He said, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. By the way, God's the only one that can see the heart. The rest of us have to look at the outward appearance. But he said, I, I've called him, I've anointed this, this youngest one, this one that was out there just tending the flock. Remember what happened, David came to power after Saul was Saul and Jonathan were killed. And, and then after David died, Solomon came to power. But after that, that was the end of what is known as the United Monarchy. Solomon was the last one who had all twelve of the tribes. He had authority over them. And then what happened was, there was a split. Rehoboam took the, the tribes of Judah, that's Benjamin and Judah and the Levites, and, and uh, they were known as the southern kingdom. And then Jeroboam took Israel, the, the other ten tribes, the northern kingdom. And despite the commands of Moses to come to Jerusalem three times a year, for Passover, that's Exodus 23:17, Exodus 34:23, and Deuteronomy 16:16. 16, 16, the northern kingdom, Jeroboam. We mentioned it this morning. Every time you see uh, Jeroboam's name in the Kings and the Chronicles, it says Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. What did he do? I'll tell you what he did. He created shrines in. For false worship in Bethel and Dan. Hold your place there in Chronicles. Go back to Kings. 1 Kings chapter 12, please. Again, I think it's important just to give you a little background here, give you a little history here as we uh, move through this text. 1 Kings chapter number 12. Remember, God had said, you come to Jerusalem and worship. You come to Jerusalem and worship. In 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 28. Oh, let's go back. Let's go back to verse 25. It says, Then Jeroboam built Shechem, and Mount Ephraim dwelt therein, and went out from thence, and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to sacrifice in the house of the Lord, at where? Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again to their Lord, even Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold, that's what we call idols, and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Again, this is a terrible case of stupid. And sin does not make sense, ladies and gentlemen. Anytime you know somebody with sin in their life and they're doing stupid things, just remember that sin never makes sense. You mean these golden calves that you just made, they brought us out of Egypt? Strange, they weren't with us when we traveled. I don't recall seeing them because you just made them and all God's people said. That's really unbelievable. And uh, he says there, and he set one in Bethel and put the other in Dan, and this thing became a sin. This is the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. Verse 31 says, And he made an house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people. But he took the most immoral of the people and made them his priests. Not Levites, like God said. 
made priests of those of the people which were not the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month and the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah, and he offered up the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing the calves that he had made, and he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even the month which he had devised in his own heart and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. You say, Pastor, why would you tell us that? Because, because this was where the northern kingdom was when Hezekiah came to power in Judah, when he became the king in Judah. And what Hezekiah did in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, you can look it up yourself, verses 1 through 19, was the first thing he did when he came to power, Brother Apple, was he repaired the temple. It had, it had gone down, and Brother Howell, I think about that conversation we were having yesterday, uh, just when you, when you go to a church and you see it's all dilapidated and it's not taken care of, how blessed we are, we're so blessed to have a crew around here yesterday working on the house of God and helping fix it up, uh, Brother Curry, he's here every Sunday polishing brass, and we've got Miss Joyce and, and uh, uh, Miss Bittinger that, that do clean, thank God for taking care of the house of God, really, but he, the first thing Hezekiah did was he, he repaired the temple, and then he, uh, in 2 Chronicles 29, verses 20 through 36, he restored temple worship, and then he requested through all the tribes of Israel and Judah, come back to Jerusalem and worship like God said. And it, boy, that passage in Kings is just amazing that Jeroboam said, well, if they, they go back and experience the worship at the house of God, they'll kill me. Yeah, I probably should have as you led him into false worship. Hezekiah invites the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, to come to Jerusalem, to come to the house of the Lord and worship. So we see the, the house of the Lord, verses 1 and 9. Verses 2 through 5, if you go back to Psalm 122, we see not only the house of the Lord, but we see the city of the Lord. The city of the Lord. Just as the temple of Solomon was the center of religious worship, so the city of Jerusalem was the center of civil life. And if you look there, verse 3, it says, uh, really verse 2, Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Why? That was where the house of the Lord was. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Where do the tribes go up? The tribes of the Lord again. God commanded three times that they were supposed to go to Jerusalem. So there would be the tribes there. The people of God would be there. Uh, to, and, and it tells us why they would be there on, in verse 4. Whither the tribes go up? The tribes of the Lord under the testimony of Israel. Why? To give thanks to the name of the Lord. You know, I was thinking about that yesterday. I was, uh, it was just early morning. Sometimes I'm up real early. Say, how early? None of your business. Amen. Check Facebook and you'll see a post from 3A. <laughs> I was up and I was just thinking about the Passover. I was meditating on the Passover. Just thinking. You know, the Passover in Exodus chapter 12 is just a picture. It's just a picture for us. And that is simply this. You remember what, you remember what the Passover was all about? Hey, they, they, they were set apart a lamb. They had to check that lamb. It had to be spotless, had to be perfect, pure. And they were to take that, that lamb and they were to extend that neck and, and take that knife and shed that blood in, in a basin as a substitute for them. And they were to take that. By the way, it wasn't enough to just shed the blood. They had to take that hyssop, Miss Kim, and put it on the doorposts and on the lintel. And everybody in that house was safe when God passed through and took the firstborn. All that is is a picture of you and I that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was slain in our place, as in our stead, as our substitute. And when that moment that you and I place our faith in Him, He sprinkles the blood upon our hearts. And, and when judgment comes, listen, though we are deserving of judgment, though we are sinners, amen, all 
all we will say is in my hand no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. I've been sprinkled in the blood of the Lamb and I will pass, I will pass over you, he says. They came to the house of the Lord, but they came to the city of the Lord to give thanks unto God for all that he had done in their life. The city of the Lord. By the way, when you think about the temple as the center of religious worship in the city of Jerusalem, the center of civil life, I will say this, and uh, we know this in our country from its founding, true religion and good government then and now are inextricably linked. By the way, it said that. You, you can read the Northwest Ordinance of 1787. It talks about uh, being necessary to the maintenance of good government that religion shall forever be encouraged, it said in the Northwest Ordinance here, 1787. Religion shall ever, forever be encouraged. Why? Because it makes for good citizens. Amen? And so... Jerusalem as a city was, and by the way, today still, as the rockets fly, still is special to God. It's not like every other city. It is God's special city. It's called the city of God in Psalm 46, 4. It's called the city of the great king, Psalm 48, 2. It's called the holy city in Matthew 4, 5, and do you remember remember what Jesus said when he lamented there in Matthew 23, 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you together as a hen with chicks and, and you would not. Why? Because he knew what was coming, Brother Jim. He knew that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. Remember when he said, he said, you see this, see these buildings standing here, see this temple? He said, pretty soon you're not, there's not going to be one stone left upon another. Remember what they said? What well, took them 46 years? That was Herod's temple they were talking about. He said, no, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. So the, the city of the Lord, the house of the Lord. And then in verses 6 through 8, and then we'll get into the, the meat of our application tonight, we see the peace of the Lord. It's one of the few things in the Bible, and again, you can just do a, stu a study in the Bible on prayer, one of the few things God specifically tells us to pray for. He, he tells us, by the way, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 2, pray for kings and them that are in authority. He tells us all them that are in authority, all them, Republicans, Democrats, Independents, all them that are in authority. But I don't like them, all them that are in authority. But they vote for legislation, all them that are in authority. That's what it says, that's your job. They'll be judged for their job, you'll be judged for doing or not doing yours. But this is one of those times where God specifically tells us, the readers, to pray. And he says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And then I love this next phrase. It says, they shall prosper that love thee. You know why, forgive me, you know why you ought to love Jerusalem? Number one, because God does. But number two, because he says, I'll bless you. Just for loving my holy city. Just for loving my people. It goes all the way back to what's called the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. He said to Abraham, I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. So, see the peace of the Lord here. And it's interesting if you read these verses, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, they shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. Just interesting, peace and prosperity are the subject of prayer and are secured by providence. And again, peace is inward and prosperity is outward, but it all comes from God. We're to beseech God for peace and prosperity. So look back, if you would, there at verse number one. And I want to apply this, and I, I realize that Israel is not the church, and the church is not Israel. But he says here, he says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. Now we, we call this, we call this building the church house. This is the place where we, we are the church. 
I think we all understand that. You and I, the saved, the, the body of Christ here, the local assembly that meets together, we are the church. But this is the church house where we meet. Thank God for it. By the way, thank God for the beautiful church house we have. I really do. I, I, every time somebody comes with a howl and they say, man, uh, and, and by the way, we, we only do uh, weddings for members, amen, it's not a wedding chapel or anything like that, but I've had countless people say, I would like to be married, this is just, it looks like a church and, and all that, and I'm so thankful that uh, each Sunday, I think about my children, I think about the first time we ever came, and the first time we ever came, Eric was about uh, 16 months, and Luke was in Mama's belly. And, and uh, uh, I remember when we came, my kids have grown up in this house of the Lord. Your kids, many of your kids grew up here. And, and uh, by the way, other churches, if you've come from other churches, uh, the, the house of the Lord. And I think about this phrase that's given. Again, I want to draw application here. It says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. You know, I think it's important, Pastor Alex, Pastor Brent, that we don't come up here and say, Welcome to the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Aren't you glad? No, nobody, listen, nobody needs a funeral dirge when a song leader gets up there, amen? Boy, if, if anybody ought to be glad, it ought to be the people sitting on this platform. Now, I think we are. I think we, we exude that kind of thing. But really, it's a choice that you make, not just to come to God's house, but to say, I'm going to be glad. I mean, again, let's, let's take the events in the Middle East right now. I don't think, hang on a second. I don't hear any rockets. Huh? I mean... You know, half of our building isn't carved out from a bomb. Right. Now, that's not the reason to be glad, but it's still a pretty good one. Yeah. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And so, I just got five quick applications tonight on a happy church. Why? Or, if we could put it this way, are you glad to go to the house of the Lord? Uh, what, what makes for a happy church? I'll tell you the first thing that makes for a happy church. Number one, and I'm just speaking for myself as pastor, but also as your brother in Christ. Number one, the people of God make for a happy church. The people of God. The Bible teaches in Matthew 18, uh, verse 20, where two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst. And by the way, thank God for house churches, thank God for underground churches and all that. We meet here in the house, and I'm glad it's more than two or three. I'm glad it's, uh, we, we quoted this verse this morning uh, from Hebrews 10, 24, that we're, uh, we're to consider one another, to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. I'm thankful the church of God is God's called out assembly, and the local church, God's redeemed people, meet together to encourage one another, to edify one another, to lift one another up, amen. I'm thankful that when I come to the house, of God, the people of God are here. Brother Apple and I have a kind of a running joke. Last one out, get the lights. Brother Howell, it's not that way in every church. Brother Howell preaches out a little bit. I've heard, I've heard other stories. Five minutes to six on Sunday night, everybody comes in, and two minutes after seven, everybody's gone. Uh, I think of that quote by old Ivor Powell. I've shared it so many times, you probably get sick of hearing it. The strength of the assembly is not assured by an influx of new members, but by a deepening affection of those already there. Amen. The people of God. I'm, listen, I'm glad to come to the house of God and see you. I mean it with all my... I, as a pastor, I see people who aren't here anymore, who've gone on to glory. I think of Brother Horse used to sit there. I think of Dave Williams in the sound booth. And I think of Fred Casbo. And I think of Max and June right there. And I think of Lowell right over there where he ought to always be. Amen. And 
I love the people of God. I feel, I feel bad for people who don't like going to church. Like it's a drudgery. Well, it's just, my, you know, it's my duty. I have to do it. No, no. I was glad. I, I, I like when guests say, wow, what a happy church. What a friendly church, Pastor. And I always say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. The people of God. The people of God. Oh, I think about that, that, that new commandment. After we had all 613 of the Old Testament, Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. What makes for a happy church? The people of God. I call it before church and after church, I call it the buzz. There's a buzz out there in the foyer. And it's just people laughing, enjoying each other's presence, fellowshipping, the buzz. It's, it's really a beautiful thing. You know when you have it, and you know when you don't have it. I've been some places, and it was like, like being in a library, amen? Just, <laughs> don't you know you can't praise the Lord here? Oh, I heard the story of a man who was raising his hand, just, just enjoying church, saying, Amen, you know. And the uh, guy turned around, he said, Shh. And he said, Why? And he said, he said, he said Why? I just want to praise the Lord. He said, well, We don't do that here. And he said, he said uh, What do you mean we don't do that here? And then they kept going. And he said, he said Well, I just, he's like, It's just bubbling up within me. He said, Well, whatever it is, you didn't get it here. And he said, Boy, you're not kidding. Amen. <laughs> oh, mercy. Oh, not to be there. By the way, if somebody raised their hands, listen, we're a world-fashioned Michigan Baptist. I get it. Uh, but somebody raises their hand, don't get nervous. You don't need to tell them the bathroom's right over there. Amen. They're just, they're just praising the Lord. Amen. They're just, now, listen, I've been in some services where people did some stupid stuff. I was in a service one time at Midwestern Baptist College at Emmanuel, and professors started running the aisle. I'm going to tell you, that was the most ridiculous thing I ever saw in my life. I was just expecting every last one of those guys to pull a muscle as they were running down the manual. You know, it sloped by the gym down at the bottom. <laughs> you know, listen, but it, it is okay to be with the people of God and to enjoy being with the people of God. There's no people I enjoy being with more. We kid each other. We rib each other. Brother Merkling was so glad for Sunday school that we finally had some decent preaching. Amen. Hey, you had a little week of it, brother. Amen. Revival. You got to got to go back to uh, bread and water. Amen. Now, <laughs> no, we we have fun, love each other, pray for each other, lift each other up when the difficulties come. Hey, that's a happy church. The people of God. Number two. Not only the people of God make for a happy church. You're in Psalm. Go, go over with me. Well, you can look at Psalm uh, 122, verse 4. It says, Whether the tribes go up and the tribes of the Lord under the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. Go, jump over to Psalm chapter uh, 149. Psalm 149. Look at verse 1. It says, Praise ye the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise in what? In the congregation of the saints. You know what makes for a, a happy church? Not only the people of God, but the praise of God. The praise of God. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, it says, Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. It's a wonderful thing. That you just get amongst people that love praising the Lord. Old, old Jeff Becker. How you doing, Brother Jeff? Better than I deserve. He just makes it a point to praise the Lord. Hey, by the way, this is the place to praise Him. Now, we can praise Him anywhere, and we should. But boy, if you can't praise Him here amongst all your brothers and sisters, that's what it tells us there, that we're, that we're singing a new song, and he'll sing His praise in the congregation. Listen, a happy church is a place where God's people praise Him. Amen? 
I love testimony time. We don't do it enough. Uh, you know, and again, that's not a criticism or anything. We look at the schedule, Miss Heidi Pastor House, we're like, we, we need to fit that in. Amen. We need to have a testimony time, you know, six, eight times a year and have a, a, a song time and all that. Why? Because that makes for a happy church. I remember my early days at Mountain View Baptist Church, Miss Kim, remember, we'd have testimonies on Sunday nights. So almost every Sunday night. And I understand you get the same five people giving testimonies. And people like you that should give them, that you're quiet, amen, you don't want to give one. But no, boy, that, that's, that's a happy church right there. That's a happy church. The praise of God, the people of God. I was glad unto me, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. How about back there in Psalm 122, verse 6. And then we're going to go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I want to read a, a great passage there. And it's a passage we know pretty well. But uh, So look at Psalm 122, verse 6, and then we'll go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Psalm 122, verse 6 says what? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Go back to, to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Look at verses 12 through 15, and you'll recognize verse 14. As soon as you hear it, you'll, oh, yeah, I know that verse, amen. But the verses around it are phenomenal. It says in 2 Chronicles 7, 12, it says, And the, the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy what? Okay, so he just prayed the dedication to the temple. We, we talked about that. And have chosen this place. For myself, for an house of sacrifice. You know, we, we talk about that. We talk about how, listen, this auditorium, this, this building is sanctified for the worship of God. It's set apart for the worship of God. I was at a church one time. I was preaching a, a sports camp. And on a Wednesday night, Miss Linda, I, I came in a little early and there was a kid at the sports camp, not here. I would lose my mind if it happened in this auditorium. I lost my mind then, but kid was over there on the piano and he was playing the theme from Halloween. And I, again, I, I was out of my element. It wasn't my church to correct everybody, but I felt that needed correction right away. I said, hey, I think that piano is set apart for the hymns. I don't think you ought to be playing that. Come on. And he stopped and said, this, this piano is set apart for God. Amen. He said about the temple, I have set apart this house. Hey, aren't you glad, and some of you were here back in 1967, aren't you glad some faithful Christian people set this property and this building apart for the worship of God? One of the most important parts of that worship is right here in application in this text. Look what he says here. He says in... Verse 13, if I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. Again, we talked, God did that this morning, in this morning's message, right? We looked at 1 Kings, there was a time where God did that. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, by the way, if he does that, there's a reason for it, and it's sin. Then he says this, what does he say? He says, if my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and what? Pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attend unto the what? Prayer that is made in this place. Number three. I'll tell you what makes for a happy church. Not only the people of God, not only the praise of God, the prayers to God. This place, listen, this place from its inception until now, like Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. I am so glad as I look back, and I, it, it, it's really hard for me to conceive that I have been here 14 years. It really is just... But I think about some of the most special and precious times as a church that we have had is right here. Right here. 
as we've prayed for people that had health issues, as we've prayed over graduates, as we've prayed over people that have left our ministry well and moved to a different place. You know, I'll tell you what, the church that doesn't pray and pray, I'm, I'm all for praying privately. Jesus talked a lot about that. You in your closet, in your car, all that. But there is something to the people of God praying corporately. And forgive me, there's something about it in the church house. It's not the only place we can pray, we understand that, but it sure is a place that God set apart for prayer. Praying church is a happy church. Prayer to God, the praise of God, the people of God. Kind of hard for a pastor to talk about this one, but we'll go there anyway. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Little Merklinger's going to have a field day with this one. I love picking on you, Brother Ken. By the way, he just retired. Had his retirement party uh, yesterday. Congratulations to you, Brother Ken. Mean that with all my heart. Sure love you. Appreciate you, Miss Lori. You guys are a gift to our church. God brought you to us and fit right in. And 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, it says, I charge thee, therefore, here's the aged pastor charging the young pastor. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come, and I'll say this is come, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but shall, after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall be turned away from their truth and shall be turned unto fables. Listen to me. A happy church is uh, where the people of God, the, the praise of God, the prayers to God, and I'll tell you what, the preaching of God. The preaching of God. Thank God for preachers who still preach, thus saith the Lord. You say, well, you've been doing that a long time, Pastor. I'm going to tell you, not everyone does it. There's a whole lot of churches, and some of them even share the name Baptist. Where it's about entertainment instead of preaching. And again, I, 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 I enjoy our Christmas program. I, I'm looking forward to having Brother Chase Williams, all that great. But I'll tell you what, none of that can replace the preaching of the Word of God in a church. And I'm telling you, when the Bible is preached correctly, when it's expounded correctly, that's a happy church right there. I can't help but think about your daddy, Mrs. Lawley. He used to come up to me, Brother Bob Welker. I, every time I would preach a message like this morning, and every time I would preach a tough message, a, a more difficult message, Mrs. Swaffer, Bob Walker would meet me out there in the in the uh, glass enclosure and say, "Pastor, that's the kind of preaching we need." Yep. By the way, Brother Howell, I I tire so much of grab a verse and run away. You know, I, I have in my wide margin Bible a quote by M.R. DeHaan. It's a, one of my favorites. He's, I have it right next to preach the word. And he says, many a preacher has announced this text and then proceeded on a journey over land and sea never to return to it again. God help me, I never want to be that kind of preacher. I can tell you all about Psalm 122 and how it's not the church, but we can sure apply it to the church. Amen. It's a preacher's job to give the sense of the text. Preaching of the Word of God. Preaching the Gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ because He loves sinners. Hey, preaching repentance. Hey, not just for salvation, but every one of us is called to repent. Repentance means, God, you're right and I'm wrong. I've been doing wrong, I need to repent. It's a preacher's job to preach repentance. It's a preacher's job to preach the cross. Or the cross will straighten you out. I shouldn't say this, the cross will bend you. Huh? The cross will put you on your knees. You get to thinking you're something. 
You get to preach on the cross and what Jesus went through for you, you wicked sinner like me. Preacher should preach the cross. Preach repentance. Preach the gospel. Hey, glory. Preach the resurrection. That's the hope right there. Preach Christ. We preach Christ crucified and risen again. Preachers to preach the whole counsel of God. Can I tell you, preaching the whole counsel of God is no fun whatsoever. I remember I, I was preaching just a couple weeks ago and I was preaching on marriage and, and preaching on how the devil attacks a home and, and I had to get into 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 through 5 about uh, spouses defrauding each other. Forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, that's uncomfortable. You think it's uncomfortable for you sitting there squirming? Try being up here. But it's the whole counsel of God. And in that text, it tells us that Satan can tempt you because of that. He's destroyed many a home. The preachers to preach the whole counsel of God. You show me a, a church where the preaching of God is spot on. Not, by the way, not hobby horse preaching. You know what hobby horse preaching is, right? That's where the preacher just preaches on those five things that he has a hobby horse about. And this is all he does with them all the time. He's always preaching, and again... Listen, you know me about standards and modesty and all that, but he's always preaching on pants on women, and he's always preaching on uh, stupid stuff. And again, I'm, I'm for ladies dressing modestly, and all God's ladies said. But there's more to preach than just that. Amen. Just preach the Bible. <laughs> I had advice for a young man that was going into ministry. I said, man, just preach this book. You, uh, listen, I've been preaching 25 years. I've just scratched the surface. I'll never exhaust this volume. The preaching of God. It makes for a happy church. And then lastly, Psalm 122. We're going to look at a couple of verses here in the New Testament. But it's amazing how this works. So Psalm 122, verse 6. And seven there, of course, obviously. It's talking about Jerusalem. We understand the interpretation here. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Verse seven, peace within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sakes, I will now say peace within thee. Let's go to the New Testament. Let's look up, we'll look up three verses in the New Testament. We'll close her up tonight. Uh, Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, which is the great chapter on weaker brethren and how, by the way, the stronger brethren should defer to the weaker brethren in regards to things we do and things we don't do so as not to offend a weaker brother, not to disturb their young faith that's growing. Verse 19, it's a great verse. And it's obviously, this is written to the church at Rome. Paul says... Romans 14, verse 19. Are we there? Say amen. Okay. It says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for what? Peace. And things wherewith we may edify one another or build up one another. Right? Okay, go over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Here, page is rustling. Must be fall. Verse number 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Colossians chapter 3. Just over a couple books, just a few pages, really. Colossians chapter 3. What a pat! Oh, this is such a glorious passage of scripture for that local church there at Colossae, but also for us all these thousands of years later. Verse 12, it says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another. And here's a verse for those of you that won't forgive. Forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you so also do ye, no, no uh, loophole in that verse, 
Amen. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be thankful. What's the last thing that makes for a happy church? Not only the people of God, not only the praise of God, not only the prayers to God, not only the preaching of God, but the peace of God. Peace of God. A happy church is members who would rather have biblical peace and unity than be right. I'm just going to give that guy a piece of my mind. Trust me, sir, you can't spare much. I wouldn't if I were you. You, you may want to refrain. Why? Because of the peace of God is here. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we have it. We have it. There's been times where we haven't had it. That was a long time ago. I love the fact that we have it because it makes for a happy church. I'll never forget, we had, we had somebody, when we were going through a diff more difficult time, somebody saying to me, they said to me, they said, Pastor, I don't even like coming to church. And that broke my heart. Just broke my heart. But I can understand when there's, when there's animosity amongst brothers and, and there's strife. And as 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about division. And, and, and uh, you know what Paul said about division and about a lack of peace? He said, you're carnal. Yeah. You're just fleshly. Grow up is really what he said. Matter of fact, he said, I'd like to feed you with meat and I should be able to now, but now I've got to give you the bottle of milk. Because you're just a baby. Listen, there, there's, there's been times where I thought I was right, but Brother Dwayne, I felt like, okay, I don't, I don't need to be right on that issue. And by the way, I'm the pastor, but I'm still a member here. It's up to me. Those verses that we looked at, it's up to me to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And sometimes that just means, hey, listen, I don't need to give that person a piece of my mind. I can just love them. And it's amazing when you do that, a couple weeks later, the person comes to you and says, you know what, forgive me, I was wrong on that situation. I, I found out otherwise, and for, forgive me, thank you for not, you know, laying me out and all that. Listen, a happy church is where the peace of God is. Amen. Happy church. The peace of God, the preaching of God, prayers to God, the praise of God, and the people of God. I hope you can say it every week. I truly do say it. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Father, we love you.